All right, that was good stuff. We uh, we kind of were, I, I won't say taking a break from 1 Corinthians, we're, we're just kind of looking at a bunch of scriptures to look at what we were talking about in 1 Corinthians in, in much greater detail. It worked out pretty good. We go through the book of Exodus on Sunday nights, uh, and we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings, and it just kind of happened this way, not by my planning, but, but just kind of worked out that uh, the passages that have to do with the Passover and the Lord's Supper kind of hit at the same time uh, in both Exodus and 1 Corinthians. And so uh, I wanted to take this opportunity over the next couple of weeks to just kind of look in a little more detail uh, at the Passover, at the Lord's Supper, at the taking of communion, which is something as Christians that uh, we're commanded to, to do and that we and we do. But I want to make sure that we understand the significance of, of, of taking the Lord's Supper, of taking communion, uh, looking back at the past as to, as to how that whole thing came about and what God's Word was pointing us toward, uh, looking a little further on uh, to Jesus Christ when He come, and, and then for us looking back at those things and seeing why we still celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, why we still celebrate communion, why we still celebrate uh, the Passover meal in some instances. Uh, you may have heard, uh, we, there's lots of different names for what we refer to at this church usually as communion or the Lord's Supper, uh, but that can be referred to in many different ways. Uh, perhaps uh, if, if you are familiar uh, with Catholics or, or you're from that background, uh, the Eucharist is a, is a phrase that's used. Uh, the Eucharist, that is a Passover Seder, uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, all of these things are talking about essentially the same thing. And, and there's different, uh, different uh, the sacraments, that's another one. Uh, so maybe you've heard those different phrases, and they really all refer to the same thing. These things are all talking about uh, the Passover. These things are all talking about uh, that, that, that meal that Jesus had with his disciples before we went to the cross. And we still celebrate that, but in a little different way than what uh, the Jewish people celebrated that uh, back back in the time that, that, that Jesus uh, and the disciples celebrated that. Uh, we, we look back at what Jesus did. They look uh, back at what happened at, in the Exodus. And we're going to look at both. Both things are important for us as Christians to kind of understand uh, the significance of, of this. Um, I was thinking, you know, about about this over the last few weeks as I knew we were getting close and we will be taking the Lord's Supper here in a couple of weeks, maybe next week, depending on how, how much ground we make today and next week. Uh, but we will, after we get through with this, be partaking of the Lord's Supper. And, and any time that we partake of the Lord's Supper, it needs to be something that is that is uh, of, of some significance to us because it is. It, it should never be something that we just do. It is not something that is going to save our soul. We're not, our souls aren't saved because we drink the wine or eat the bread. That's, that's not why we do it. There's, it's not that, uh, that that's the reason we do it. Some people may do that thinking it makes them, them closer to God by doing it. But, but that's something that we do because we are close to God. That's a, that's a response. That's a result. That's something that we do because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because we are in Jesus Christ, we want to remember what he has done. And we don't want to take that lightly. And perhaps it's, it's sometimes it's easy for us to do that. I'm not saying that we always do. I would hope that most of us at least have some acknowledgement or, or remembrance of Jesus when we take the Lord's Supper. Uh, but it's also possible that maybe sometimes we just kind of do it. You know, we, we go through the motions and we eat the cracker and we drink the cup without really focusing our heart and our mind on what it's all about. Without really giving proper, uh, proper attention to why we do these things. 
things. Now, uh, the Bible, in, at least in my opinion, doesn't, doesn't say that there's a, a certain time that we have to do it or a certain frequency that we do it. Well, we could do it every day. Or we could do it every week. We could do it a few times a year. And I don't think that that's uh, necessarily of, of much importance, at least not to me. And you may feel differently, and we can talk about that later. And it's okay if we have a different, difference of opinion. But, but, but we need to do it on a regular basis, I believe, ever how often that is. It needs to be regular. As Christians, we need to come together and, and do that. That's something that Jesus commands us to do. But no matter what frequency we do it with, we need to do it with the right heart. Whether it's once a year or whether it's 20 times a year, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper, it needs to be with the right heart, with the right attitude, with the right remembrance of Christ. Now, there are some in the world, and I think that there's a good argument to be made, that, that even as Christians, we should still partake of the Passover meal of the Lord's Supper at the same time that it was commanded for the Jewish people to partake of it. And perhaps that's the case. And, and, and God may convict me of that and reveal that to my heart later on. Right now, I, I, don't, I don't feel that. But God's Word, as I read through Sometimes God, God's Word changes my heart. And there are a lot of Christian people who partake of the Lord's Supper on that same day. They still follow the same calendar, and they still celebrate it on the same day that the Passover would have been celebrated. And there is nothing wrong with that. Uh, if, if anything, I think that that is a good, healthy practice for us as Christians to get into. Even if it's not a requirement, there is no harm in us setting aside that day and remembering the importance of that day throughout the centuries uh, and also remembering the importance of Jesus Christ. So that was kind of a long, lengthy introduction. But we're going to, and, and I'm going to follow this up this morning with a long, lengthy text. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. I will try my best not to ramble and not to be too lengthy today. As I said, I don't know how long this is going to take. It may take a couple of weeks. It may take three weeks. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to look at. There's a lot to dig into as we, as we look at these passages in, in, in Exodus, as we look at the passages in 1 Corinthians, and as we look at so many other passages that kind of deal with these things uh, throughout the text. I typically read from the Holman Christian Standard Translation. Some of you like to follow along. If you have a tablet or a, or a phone, you like to follow with what I'm reading. Today I'll be reading from the ESV. Today I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And so uh, if you want to follow along and you, wanna, and, you, and you have that version available to you, uh, I, I'm reading from that today. I'll tell you the reason why I'm reading from the ESV today. There was, uh, uh, in, in the, the translation that I typically read from, uh, there was a difference in the text that I think is, is of some, some, some significance, at least to our understanding of what the text is pointing to. And I'm going to try not to bore you, but I just want to kind of tell you what the difference of the text is. Most translations, when you, when you read uh, Exodus chapter 12, are going to refer to the Lamb. Now, in, in the context, in a literal translation of what that Hebrew word was there, in the, in the literal context, the word lamb was not used. Now, most translations that you guys have today are going to use the word lamb, uh, as well as the one that I'm going to read from. It is going to talk about the sacrificial lamb. There are only two translations that I could find that do, that do not use the word lamb. One of those is the Holman Christian Standard. Now, in, in that case, the two translations that did not use lamb are probably correct. They are probably more literal. Now, anytime we read verses in Scripture, different translations are going to be more literal at certain times and certain verses and not in others, and it just varies. It goes back and forth. In this particular case, the Holman Christian Standard is probably more accurate and more literal by not using the word lamb because the Hebrew word there would not have been lamb. 
But sometimes the most literal translation is not always the most helpful or not always the easiest or not always the best and most beneficial for us to understand. And so for that reason, we are go- I'm not going to read from the Holman Christian Standard today because it does not use the word lamb. I think it is of some significance and helpful for understanding for us as Christians when we read this, when we see the word lamb, it should point our attention to Jesus Christ. Now, there is no question in my mind, and, and, and maybe not in yours either, that this passage is pointing us toward Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that this, this is pointing us forward toward Jesus Christ. And there's also no doubt in my mind that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. That is clear throughout the text. As we see the mention of Lamb in the New Testament, uh, it, 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 it seems natural for us as Christians to read Lamb into this text. It seems natural for us to make lamb be the, the center of the attention here, the sacrificial lamb, as we should, as we, as we know that that's what this is pointing through, through the whole text. And so uh, that's why I'm using a different translation today, and that's the difference there. If you happen to have a translation, and it has a different word there, but I think that by, by seeing the word lamb and hearing the word lamb, it will help resonate with us and remind us about Jesus Christ and him being our lamb. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these words. I pray that you help me not to ramble on. I pray that you help us to remain attentive. God, through all this reading, this is a long text, so I pray that you keep our minds straight, our, 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 our mind focused, our ears open, dear Lord. Help us not to think about stuff. Help us not to be distracted with, with all this stuff of the world. God, help me not to get carried away talking about Hebrew and stuff, dear Lord. It's not about a, 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 a lesson in language, God, but, but it is about understanding. And so help, help us to understand, dear Lord, and, and help me not to make things more confusing, but let the Holy Spirit make things simple for us. And God, I pray that you just preach, through us, preach to us, dear Lord, through your word today. And let Jesus Christ be preached in this place and be glorified among us. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. We'll read through uh, a lot of text here, uh, and then we will, we will discuss it. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. 
and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what anyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no one is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native in, of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses and to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. 
and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now this was a long text that we looked at today, and I, I, I debated over reading such a long text, but I think we need to see all of that. I think we need to see everything that was said there so we can fully grasp what was going on. Now before this point, uh, what had taken place is that God had sent some plagues onto the land of Egypt, trying to get Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And throughout the process, Pharaoh had refused to let the Israelite people go. Now, God had protected his people throughout most of these plagues, the first few they may have had to experience, but God had made a distinction between Israel and Egypt. He had told the people, I'm going to make a distinction between my people and the Egyptians. And once God made that distinction, his people, the Israelites, were spared, and the Egyptians faced many hard times, but Pharaoh refused to let the people go. And Moses would go into Pharaoh, and he would say, you must let us go into the wilderness so that we can make sacrifices and worship our God. And Pharaoh refused to do so. And finally, God had, had come to the final straw. Finally, God had been patient enough with, with Pharaoh. He had given him every opportunity, and God said, here is what is about to take place. We see this in Exodus 11. God says, I'm about to bring about the death of the firstborn male of all of the land of Egypt. That's every firstborn male human and every firstborn male animal. Now, this was going to bring massive destruction to the land of Egypt. Imagine a society, imagine a country where every firstborn son was going to die in an instant. We are talking about thousands, possibly millions of men that were going to be killed. Think of herds and flocks where the firstborn male of the herds and flocks were going to die instantly. This was going to have a tremendous effect on the land of Egypt. And God said, this is about to take place. But God gave specific instructions here in Exodus chapter 12 as to what the people of Israel were supposed to do. Now, you may think these instructions seem odd. Why would God give these specific instructions? Well, I don't know why God would give these specific instructions other than the things that God told them to do were things that we see a very, a very strong uh, uh, a resemblance of things that God was going to do in the future through Jesus Christ. Whether the people of Israel realized that at the time, I don't know. 
But, but God knew for our sake. He knew that we were going to be reading it, I believe. He knew that we were going to be able to look back and see the, the similarities. He knew that, that all of those of Jesus' day may even look back and see the things that transpired and be able to make that connection that what Jesus, uh, that what God is doing for us here is God is pointing us to Jesus Christ. And He gives the Israelites these very specific instructions. He tells them that, that, that they're supposed to, on a certain day, they're supposed to go out and they're supposed to find the sacrificial lamb. They are supposed to go out and they're supposed to find a lamb that is without blemish. They are supposed to go out to their flocks and they're supposed to find the best of the best to give to the Lord. And God gives them these instructions. And this was a, this was a major event. We don't want to miss the importance of what is taking place here. This is a significant event in all of Scripture. Now, God had already made the promise through Abraham hundreds of years earlier that He was going to bless Abraham's descendants. And, 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 and God had promised to do that, but that hadn't taken place yet. God said He was going to bless His descendants and He was going to give them a land of their own. And these very Israelites, the text tells us about, were those who the promise was going to take place, where it was finally going to be fulfilled. And all this time had passed, and what God is doing here in these verses is He is doing something of much significance. Because we see a major shift, a major change in how things is done. Now, had God blessed those who were righteous and followed Him? Did He not bless those before this event? Absolutely He did. He blessed, he blessed Abraham before this event. Uh, he blessed Noah and his family. Uh, he even blessed Adam and Eve before this event. God had blessed his people, but God was, 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 was putting a plan into place that was really coming to be right here, that was really fixing to take shape into something much different, into something much grander than what we have seen up until this point. And so God began to put all these things into place. And, and this was such a significant event. This was going to mark the beginning of the nation of Israel. This was just a bunch of slave people that had, that had uh, ended up in Egypt, that had been enslaved under Pharaoh. And God is fixing to do something significant that's going to separate them and make them their own people, make them His own people. And God says from this time on, once this event occurs... This will be the event that you keep time by. He said this will be the first month of your year. The month that this is supposed to take place, this will be the first month of your year. Not only was he freeing the people, but everything that they were going to do was going to start and be based on this event that was about to take place. And God said this is going to be the month that will be the first month of your year, and here are the specific instructions of what you have to do. On the tenth day of the month, you are to go and you are to get the lamb, the perfect lamb, the one without blemish. You are to get prepared for four days, and on the fourteenth day of the month, you are to prepare the Passover meal. You are to sacrifice the lamb. You are to take the lamb and you are to, to cook the lamb a certain way. You're not to boil it in water. Uh, you're not to eat it raw. You are to roast it over fire. Very specific instructions. You are supposed to use bitter herbs. You're supposed to use unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is, is bread that just doesn't rise, bread that doesn't have yeast. And we may think, well, well, why is God giving such specific instructions? Why unleavened bread? Why didn't He just tell them to make bread? What's the significance of that? Well, I believe that God has a purpose and a reason for everything that takes place in this story. And God uh, gives them these specific instructions, and He says, here's what's going to happen. When the day comes at midnight... The destroyer is going to come. 
the destroyer is going to come throughout the land of Egypt and is going to be among the people. And all of those firstborn of the land of Egypt will be killed. But he gave the Israelites a choice. He gave them a chance. He gave them instruction. He said, but as for you, as for my people, here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat this meal. I want you to follow my instructions precisely. And I want you to take that blood of that lamb, of that perfect unblemished lamb, and I want you to go outside of your doors of your home, and I want you to take the doorpost up the side of your doors, and I want you to wipe blood on both sides, and I want you to take the lintel, that piece that goes across the top of the door, and I want you to take that lamb's blood, and I want you to put it above your door. He said, stay inside, don't go outside, eat the feast. If there's any left in the morning, burn whatever's left up. But God said, do these things. And when the destroyer comes, God said, I will pass over your house. That's good stuff. That's pretty good God that the Israelites serve, that we serve. That God says, I'm going to pass over you. I'm not going to bring my destruction and punishment on you. Now, did all the Israelites do that? I don't know. I can't help but think that maybe there were some that maybe didn't take God at His word. Maybe there were some that doubted. Maybe there were some that didn't paint their doorposts. I don't know. Maybe every single one of them painted their doorposts. But I know this. I know that every single one that did, God spared. God delivered them. Everyone that was obedient to what God said, God passed over them. Now in the text, it says that the destroyer will come. Now, I don't know who the destroyer is. In and, and, and popular culture, uh, a lot of times we, we tend to say the death angel, but that's not, that's not an accurate or right translation. Uh, perhaps it could have been an angel, I don't know. But in whatever form, whatever way that God caused this to be, God brought punishment and judgment and death on the land of Egypt while he spared his people. And God had, had established this, and he said, from this moment on, this is going to mark a lot of stuff for the land of, Egypt, of Israel. They were going to go from slaves to a nation. They were going to go from slavery to freedom. They were going to go from an old time to a new time. Even their calendar changed. The old was out the window. The old way was gone. God is saying, from this moment on, there is going to be something new that I am going to do with you. Everything was changing for the people of Israel. The old times were gone. The slavery was gone. But the new times had come. The times of deliverance. The times of freedom. The times of blessing. The time of going into their own land. God is saying, I'm about to do something special with you. And God gave them all these instructions. And God said, now you remember these things. And when your children ask you, why do we do this? Why do we eat the unleavened bread? Why do we sacrifice the Passover lamb? God says, remind them of this event. Remind them of what took place. God didn't want them to forget where they came from. That's important for us too to remember. God didn't want them to forget where they came from. Because where they came from was a horrible place. Where they came from was a, was a place of affliction. Where they came from was a, was a place of slavery. Where they came from was a place where, where they were looked down upon, where they were worked hard, where they, were just, where they just didn't have anything. Where they came from was a bad place where they were left on their own. Until God came and said, I'm going to deliver you. And God is saying, look, remember where you came from and remember what I did and remember where I brought you to. God took them from a land of slavery to a land that was their own. He took them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And it was only through His power and all the miracles that the Israelites would experience 
Even though they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they were stubborn hardheads, even through all that, God continued to do miracles that were passed on from generation to generation. And you say, well, how do you know that they were passed on? How do you know that they, that they kept telling their children what the Lord did? Because we're reading it today, that's how I know. If the people hadn't been obedient and continued to pass on what God did, we wouldn't be here reading about it today. But it had such an impact on them. It had such significance. Thousands of years later, we are still sitting here doing exactly what God's Word said to remember what took place. And we need to remember where we came from. Now we've probably, I'm, I'm just going to guess, that none of us have ever been enslaved in Egypt uh, and none of us have ever maybe experienced some of the things that the Israelites experienced. But we need to remember where we came from. Because really we're no different than the Israelites. There was, I don't know why God chose the Israelites, but He did. I don't know why God would choose you and I, but He does. Ain't that good stuff that God would choose us? That God would give us the same opportunity to be free, to be delivered that He gave the Israelites? I don't know why God chooses us. But God chooses us. And when God chooses us, and when we realize that, and we realize we're sinners, and we come to Him, and we're delivered, we need not forget what we're delivered from. We're delivered from being horrible, sinful people. We're delivered from the weight of all of our sin bearing down on us. The guilt, the burden, the shame, the punishment, the judgment that is supposed to come because of what we do. When we come to Jesus Christ and we are redeemed and forgiven, we need to remember where we came from. And we didn't get redeemed and forgiven because all of a sudden we became awesome, holier-than-thou people. Not at all. We were forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Would somebody say amen? amen? Thank you. We were forgiven because of that. And when God tells His people, the Israelites, don't forget where you came from, boy, those words are good for us too. Don't forget where we came from. We were hopeless, helpless sinners until Jesus Christ came and chose you and chose I. Chose me. Whatever. Doesn't matter. He chose us. And that's good stuff. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we think back of the Passover, we need to think about what God was telling His people then, and we need to think about how that applies to us now. And God gave them those specific instructions. One of the instructions is He tells them uh, to, to, to only eat unleavened bread. Now, you might have heard that, that word your whole life, but, but don't know what unleavened bread is. Well, what is unleavened bread? Well, it's kind of like flatbread, really, the best I can understand. If you've ever eaten flatbread before, you can get that at Subway on your sandwich. That's, that's an option now. It's a bread that just doesn't rise. It's a bread that's flour and, and water and, and a little salt, and there's not much else to it, and it doesn't have any yeast in it, so it doesn't have any, any rising component. It doesn't have anything that's going to expand it. And God told the people, when they made their bread for this meal, don't put any yeast in it. And he also said when you have the Passover feast, which is going to stretch for seven days uh, that we see God give those instructions to, he said don't even have any yeast in your house. Don't even have any leavening in your house. That whole time you're supposed to eat unleavened bread. Now why would God tell the people not to put any yeast in their bread? Well, I believe we see the answer pretty clearly in the New Testament. Because what we see when we see yeast mentioned in the New Testament is sin. When we see a reference to yeast or leavening in the New Testament, that is a reference to sin. 
Let's look at a few verses that talk about this. You can flip to these if you would like, or you can just listen carefully. One of them's short, one of them's kind of long. Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. This is a simple verse you may know. A little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. Well, what does that mean? Well, anybody that's ever done any baking knows that it doesn't take very much yeast to make the dough rise. You put a little bit in there, and somehow that yeast works its way through and makes its way through the whole big lump of dough, and you put your bread in the oven, and you look at it a little bit later, and you have a beautiful, puffed-up, lovely loaf of bread, hopefully. Hopefully that's what you have. And y'all are all good cooks, so I'm sure you do. You've got a beautiful lump of bread. And somehow that yeast, that little bit of yeast, is managed to make its way throughout the whole lump of bread. Let's see what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. The Pharisees and Sadducees approached, and as a test asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When evening comes, you say... It will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the sign of the times. Now, let's stop there for a second. Uh, in the context of what Jesus is saying, he's simply saying to the Pharisees, as they're asking him, well, show us, prove to us that you're the Son of God. And Jesus says, in a sense, you can't see the forest for the trees. He said, you're smart enough to look at the sky and know when it's going to be bad weather, but you're not smart enough to look at me and see what I've taught and see what I've done to recognize I'm the Son of God. That's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees here. Verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. So he's calling them out. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. Now, in the context, Jesus is pointing them forward to what's going to happen. What happened to Jonah was that he was in the belly of the whale or the big fish for three days and for three nights. And Jesus is giving him a hint here. He's pointing them to him because what is going to happen to Jesus? The Bible says that he is nailed to a cross. He died. He is put in the grave for three days and three nights. He's in the, uh, the heart of the earth, I guess we could say, the, the belly of the, of the will, so to speak. And he's giving them the sign. He's letting them know, you want a sign? When you see me die and be put in the ground and be buried for three days and come back out of the ground, uh, raised from the dead, that's the sign he's saying you're going to see. Now we're going to get to the stuff about the, about the, about the yeast. Give me, just, just hang with me. Uh, then he left them and went away. Verse 5. The disciples reached the other shore and they had forgotten to take bread. Okay, that's natural. If we're going somewhere and we need food to eat, it's natural that we want to take food. Well, they had forgotten to bring bread. Let's see what happened. Then Jesus told them, Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they discussed among themselves, We didn't bring any bread. So Jesus gives them a word of warning here. He says, look, these Pharisees and Sadducees that are trying to test me and cause trouble and get me off track and get everybody else off track, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And the disciples, who sometimes seem clueless, if you read the text, you kind of see that. They say, well, we didn't bring any bread. I can imagine the conversation maybe saying, well, we didn't bring any bread, and we've got to have stuff to make bread, and if we've got to get yeast from the Pharisees, but Jesus says we can't get yeast from the Pharisees, well, what do we do? How are we going to get bread? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 9. Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you collected? Are the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many large baskets you collected? 
Why is it that you don't understand that when I told you beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, it wasn't about bread? Now Jesus is doing two cool things here. One, the disciples who saw Jesus do all this stuff, and they're, they're complaining, oh, we didn't bring any bread, what are we going to do? And Jesus, he, he, first he addresses that. He says, don't you remember that I took, I took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people? And then I did a similar thing again and fed 4,000 people. Jesus is saying, and you're really worried about food. I can take care of the food. So he addresses that first problem. He says, don't you understand? It's not about that. Don't worry about that. But then he gives the significance of what he's talking about here. He says, why is it that you don't understand that when I told you beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it wasn't about bread. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the yeast in bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Light went off. They got it. Ah, he's not telling us to worry about bread and our bread rising. He's telling us that the yeast of the Pharisees is the bad teaching and sinful behavior that they are doing. So when Jesus says, beware of the, the, the yeast of the Pharisees, he says, don't listen to their bad, ungodly teaching. We see yeast referred to in a negative sense there. Oh, we see yeast referred to in a negative sense in several instances throughout the New Testament, but this one sums it up as good as any. When yeast is referred to in the New Testament, it is often referred to as sin. It is referred to as sin. And when the text says in Galatians 5.9 that a little yeast leavens the whole lump, what that means is, is it doesn't take much sin in our life to cause big problems because sin begins to spread. It's like a disease. And sometimes we want to convince ourselves that I can have just a little sin. It's okay as long as I live good in every aspect of my life to sin a little. But God's Word would say that's a lie. God's Word would say that's just not true. Because God's Word would say sin is like yeast and just a little bit can mess up the whole lump. Just a little bit of, of sin in our life can cause us to be puffed up with pride and arrogance and all of these things that come along with sin. And God told the Israelites in the Passover, don't eat leavened bread. Don't eat bread with yeast in it. And he was giving them that as a symbol, as a sign of what was to come. We see that symbol, that sign revealed to us by Jesus himself in the New Testament. He's referring to sin. He's referring to, look, anything in your life that shouldn't be there, it needs to be taken out. What God was telling them is that you need to rely on me. You need to be obedient to me. You need to trust in me. You need to cut everything else there that's not of me out. And I will take care of you. I will deliver you. And so he gives them the instruction to eat only unleavened bread. And then he gives them the most important instruction. And the instruction on finding the lamb. On finding the perfect unblemished lamb. And to take the lamb's uh, life and to take that blood of the lamb and to, and to paint it on the doorpost and to paint it over the lintel. You see, when the destroyer came, in whatever way, shape, and form that destroyer took place, the destroyer didn't pass over the Israelites because they were Israelites. The text doesn't say, I will pass over your house because you are an Israelite. The text says, I will pass over you and you won't face my judgment and you won't face my destruction because you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. God didn't spare the Israelites because they were Israelites. He didn't spare them because of the bloodline that they were born into. 
He spared them because of the blood of the Lamb. That's good stuff. And God spares us because of the blood of the Lamb. God spares us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't believe me? You think, well, how? Do, uh, this is a whole separate story. This was thousands of years later. Could this be something totally different? How do we know that Jesus is His Lamb? How do we know that this is pointing to Jesus? Well, let's look at the text. John chapter 1, verse 29. This is John the Baptist speaking here. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that's pretty clear right there. Not a lot of room for debate. John the Baptist knew he was, going to, he was going to reveal to the people, he was going to explain to the people that there was one greater coming, that would be the Messiah, and he realized it here. And how did he refer to Jesus? He referred to him as the Lamb who takes away sin. Now, I don't think that that was a coincidence. You know why I believe John used that language? Because he knew that that was a language that the people would understand. Why? Because all of God's Word, all the instruction that God gave them from the Passover and forward, there was a sacrifice required, and many times it was a lamb that was to be sacrificed. Not just in the Passover, but in many of the other uh, things that they did, the priests were to offer up a sacrifice for their sin. And John knew that the people would know this, and he chose these words purposefully, I believe. When he said, He is the Lamb that takes away sin, he knew that they weren't going to think Jesus was a baby sheep. He knew that they were going to look at Jesus as being the one who could take away their sins. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Now, we've heard those words just a few minutes ago. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12. What kind of lamb were they supposed to choose? One without defect or blemish. That's good stuff. And, and Peter is pointing them. He's saying, look, you haven't been redeemed. You haven't been respared. You haven't been delivered by the silver and gold and what your fathers did. Perhaps pointing them back to Exodus. What did the Israelites do after they were delivered? While they were waiting on Moses to come down from the mountain, they took the gold jewelry and they made a golden calf with it. Where did they get the golden jewelry and the silver that they had? They got it from the Egyptians. We just read that in Exodus chapter 12, that the Egyptians gave them everything, that the uh, Israelites plundered them, and they left and all the things they had and all that God had delivered them from, and they took the jewelry from the ones who had enslaved them and made a false god to worship. And perhaps Peter is calling their attention back to that, and he said, look, you've been redeemed, but it's not because of what your fathers did. It's not because of your material surroundings. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ, who is the perfect lamb without blemish or defect. That's good stuff. We don't need to forget that. We need to realize that. Revelation chapter 5 verse 6. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Now here we have a, uh, some beautiful imagery here. 
Here we have some beautiful imagery of what's going on in this revelation that was given. And, and, and here in this revelation, how is Jesus pictured? How is Jesus envisioned? As he is envisioned as a, as a, as a wonderful king standing there? He is a wonderful king standing there, but this is how he saw him. Is a is one slaughtered like a lamb. Jesus Christ, one who has given his life on the cross for us to be our sacrificial lamb. One more verse, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He entered the most holy place, talking about Jesus, he entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The author of Hebrews is pointing the people to Jesus Christ as their high priest because it was the high priest who would in the Old Testament carrying out the law, it was the high priest who would go and who would sacrifice the blood of animals. It was the high priest who would go and who would do these things and, and sacrifice these animals for the forgiveness of sins. And the author of Hebrews in this passage, if you read the whole thing, you can go back and check it out, is pointing us toward Jesus Christ as the one who has been the perfect sacrifice once and for all, as one who has given everything for us once and for all so that we may be forgiven. You see, Hebrews spells it out in great detail. Hebrews is trying to get the people to move on from the old way and realize that Jesus is the only way. The author of Hebrews is saying, look, you don't have to keep doing these things. If the old way was good enough, he says, then we wouldn't have had to have had a new way. We wouldn't have had to have had a new covenant. But the author of Hebrews says, look, the blood of, of, of animals will never fully cover the forgiveness of sins. It will never fully cover the sins of people because year after year after year, the high priest would go behind the veil and he would sacrifice the animals so the people could be forgiven and the people would keep sinning and the priest would keep sacrificing. And the author of Hebrews says, but when Jesus Christ came, he was the ultimate sacrifice, the one who could cover our sins for all eternity. Therefore, let us turn to him and not the blood of animals, but the precious blood of our Lamb, Jesus Christ. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, some of you may remember this, you know what happened? The, the veil in the temple was torn. It was torn in two. Do you know why? Because there was no longer a need for the priest to go and offer sacrifice to the people because Jesus Christ went to the cross and gave His life to offer sacrifice to the people and God said no more is there a sacrifice need to be given because this one is Perfect. This one is good enough. This is the only sacrifice that can bring the redemption of sins once and for all. And we see that all spared out, all, all pointing us to all of that. We see that in Exodus. Not only do we see God sparing His people in Exodus, but we see right there in Exodus the price that had to be paid. We see right there in Exodus the price that had to be paid for disobedience and sinfulness and rejection of God. We see God's wrath poured out and we see God's judgment poured out. And how do we see that poured out? It was through the death of the firstborn son. And lo and behold, thousands of years later, we see God's anger and God's wrath and God's judgment and God's punishment poured out the same way that it was poured out on the Egyptians. The same way it was poured out to spare the people of Israel is the same way that it was for us.
God's wrath was poured out onto a perfect sacrificial lamb in Jesus Christ so that we may be forgiven. And that's why we take the Lord's Supper. That's why we take communion. That's why we talk about the Passover. We remember the past. We remember what God did. We remember how God delivered them. And we remember how God delivers us. Even though we are unworthy, God delivers us because Jesus was worthy. If we come to Him and accept Him and ask for forgiveness of sins, then praise the Lord, we will be forgiven. And just as the Israelites were covered by the blood of the Lamb, so are you and I. And when the day of judgment come, they were spared God's wrath because it was poured out on the firstborn son. Now we've got to look to our own hearts. We don't have to go paint blood on the post of our door. The blood that's to be painted on us is to be painted on our heart. And the question that each one of you have to answer today is, have you been covered by the blood of the Lamb? Have you been covered by Jesus Christ's blood that was given on the cross? You say, well, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Here's how you do it. You come to Him and you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God's one and only Son. You acknowledge that He gave His life on the cross because He loved you. You acknowledge that He was, that he was buried in that grave and He was there for three days and He conquered death. You acknowledge that. You come to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner unworthy of Your forgiveness, but please, by Your blood, by Your sacrifice, forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I accept what You did. I want to be covered by Your blood. I want to be washed as white as snow. And when we come to the Lord Jesus and not just utter those words with our mouth, but utter them with our heart. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And when the day comes that we have to stand before God in judgment, we don't experience God's judgment. We don't experience God's wrath because Jesus is there. And He says, Father, this one is mine. And God looks at us and He doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as perfectly clean as those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you been covered by the blood of the Lamb? If you hadn't, today is the day to make that decision and make that commitment. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today and we thank you for your good words. We thank you for this stuff that we see today. We thank you for your power to deliver the Israelites and to work in a mighty way. God, I thank you for your power to deliver us. God, we thank you for pointing us forward to Jesus in this text. We thank you for pointing out the, the need to cut out sin that, that may cause us to be puffed up. God, we, we pray that you help us just to seek you and to remember the sacrifice that was given. To remember, God, just as, as, the, as the old passed away through this Passover and the new begin for the Israelites. God, help us not to forget that the same is true for us. God, that when we come to Jesus Christ, the old passes away, and that's the start of something new. That's the beginning of our life, dear Lord. So I pray, God, that if there is one in this room today that has not accepted Jesus Christ and been covered by the blood, that they would come down and make that commitment decision today, that they would ask Jesus into their heart right now, God, that they would say those words, that they would acknowledge that He is the perfect Lamb without blemish, God, and that they would accept the blood shed for, that He shed for us, God. And I pray that maybe if there is one in this room who have been covered by that blood that has just failed to realize just the importance of that, that has forgotten the importance of that because of poor choices or because of sin, dear Lord, that we would take whatever little sin may be in our life and in this moment 
that we would repent of that and that we would give it to you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.